Praise God. All right, let's open our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This evening, I'd like to minister about some old and new views of the cross. Old and new views of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Old and new views of the cross. The Apostle Paul, of course, writing to the Corinthians, begins this letter by explaining to them that there's a difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world. He wants to emphasize that God is wiser than men. And that means that even things that seem foolish to men still wise in the eyes of God, if God is the one putting it all together. Now Paul understands that the proclamation of the gospel is the power of God, and that's what he says in verse 18. What was it about crucifixion in old times that really grabbed people's attention? Well, anyone in Jesus' day, and certainly in Paul's day, who saw an individual carrying a cross and heading outside the city, knew that that person would not be returning. So the moment you saw an individual bearing that kind of a punishment upon themselves, you knew the end was near. In ancient times, the cross was a very, very terrible way to pass away. It was a frightful way to lose your life. This thing, in fact, was pioneered by the ancient Assyrians who in their time would take a guilty individual, basically remove their clothing, then take a long, thick stick sharpened at the end and then impale a person through their spine and hoist them up through the centuries. This was developed and the pioneers of it became the Romans who then really took it to another level, placing folks outside the city or along the roadsides, near an open marketplace, so that an individual would be shamed, a person would be scandalized. What was the significance then of Jesus' death? Well, we understand from the scriptures that when he died on the cross, The whole point of it was to fulfill statements by Isaiah made eight centuries prior in chapter 53. It was an innocent man that did no wrong. Innocent man that had not did anything that would have made him guilty of any kind of sin. But yet Isaiah describes the very character of our Lord and describes him in verse 2 as a tender plant coming up out of a dry ground. He even says that there's no form or beauty or comeliness about him that we should desire him. There was nothing in Jesus' physiognomy that would cause an individual to be envious of who he was. But Isaiah said in verse 3, this man was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. In verse 4, he bore our griefs and our sorrows. This is the Christ that, who knew no sin, became sin. He's the one that climbed up on that cross in my place and in your place and bore all of these grievous problems that we have. The Old Testament, they give the testimony of the scapegoat. The priest would have an animal brought to the gate of the tabernacle. The priest would then take his hands and lay it on the head of the goat, 
and figuratively, the sins of Israel would be conferred upon that goat. Then the goat would be turned loose out into the wilderness to die by old age, some malady or some predator that took its life. So when Jesus climbed up on that cross, he took upon himself the sin of this world. He bore it. And that's why John was able to say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Isaiah even went further along and said in verse five, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That means he was wounded so you could be healed. He was bruised so your life could be mended. He was chastened so you wouldn't have to be chastised. This Jesus climbed up on the cross, bore all of this for you, was impaled in his hands by nails and his feet with nails pierced in his side. Imagine the brutality of the crucifixion. That a man would be beaten and bludgeoned before he would be marched to the hill where he would die. And the scripture talks of how they stripped him of the various robes, how they beat him, they spat upon him. The Bible goes so far to tell how they took a crown of thorns, twisted it, pressed it down upon his brow and blood trickling down his face and down his neck. But he endured all of that for you. He endured all of that for me. And when Jesus had to carry that cross beam or the entirety of the cross all the way to the hill, he was weary, he was tired, he was broken. But when he got to Calvary's mountain, he willingly, voluntarily laid his life down for you and for me. He didn't run. He died. They hung him up there between earth and heaven. Multitudes of people walked by and saw him. And in his dying breath, with people mocking him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was wounded for our transgressions. There's something about the telling of that story that makes it possible for someone whose life has been really just bent out of shape to be able to find healing. There's nobody who's been wounded to such a degree that they can't find healing through that story. It doesn't matter to me how bad a person's life is, even when they say to me, you don't know what I've been through, how I've been treated. I have a right to my bitterness. No, you don't. No, you don't. Think of the children that have been raised in this nation that never knew their parents, grew up in foster care, maybe were adopted. Think of the kids that did know their parents, but yet their parents abandoned them. Think about that. I had somebody just telling me a story the other day about being maybe the youngest of 12 or 13 kids. And mother gave birth to him and left him in a taxi. Just went from one house to the other several decades ago. In this world presently, there are wives who are beaten behind closed doors by their husbands. I wouldn't doubt that somewhere in this town presently, somebody woke up, probably put some ice over their eye because of a bruise, discoloration. I wonder how many people every day have to put makeup and everything on to cover what goes on behind the scenes. Bruised people. But he heals bruised people. How many men are there that don't feel respected at home, don't feel respected on their job? Maybe they've had one problem after another, bullied by neighbors or whatever it might be. But yet you can still see the trouble that's in their life and they're looking for someone that can help them. We've seen teenagers that have been rescued out of the trafficking business. I mean, somewhere along the line, there was somebody who walked away from a bad family, a good family, ended up making other choices that weren't so good. And then before you know it, ended up in the arms of more people that they care to count. Don't tell me that's not a flower whose petals have been removed, a person that's not wounded. But the scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, that Jesus was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are made whole. 
The healing process begins with a knowledge of what Jesus endured and however much your heart aches tonight. About whatever circumstance it might be. Be the loss of a loved one. He still heals. He still takes that heart that is wounded, that heart that is bitter, that heart that's honest enough to say, God, I am angry. And yet God is still able to reach out with loving arms and bring about the healing that's needed so that person can continue. Message of Jesus' death in the crucifixion changes lives. Now, Jesus understood this, and this is why in Matthew 16, if you look at verse 24 and 25, Jesus says to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. You do the math. Jesus says there has to be some kind of subtraction there. In verse 24, let him deny himself. Your wishes, your desires are subservient to God's will for your life. You may have your own plans. You may have had your own designs. But ultimately, the most important thing is what God's will is for your life. And for us, self-preservation is so important. You put five or six life vests on a vessel that's going down and let there be ten people in that vessel that's going down, you'll find that there's some attitudes and characteristics that'll be manifested in people you've never seen before. Because self-preservation is what drives so many people. The question was asked one time, what is a man's life? What does it consist? Man's life is but a vapor. But if you really want to know what's important to you and what's your life, just look at the things you choose to have all the time. Somebody told you today that your house is going to burn down in the next three hours and you've got a short time to go in and gather all that you want out of that. I promise you everything you pull out of there will be your life. Be the things you consider to be most important to you. You'll run through the house and grab this. You'll run through the house and grab that. For somebody else who looks at it, they won't think it's important at all. But to you, it'll be vitally important because it could have come from great grandma. It could have come from a mom or a dad. But you know, the scripture here says, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Jesus told somebody one time, just come on and follow me and let your parents bury themselves. Let the dead bury the dead. Deny yourself. Well, of course, if, if, if these things are true, then there has to be something in our life that's put to death. Put to death the things of the flesh. Yield not your members as instruments of the flesh, as it says in Romans chapter 6. Let him deny himself. It's within your ability. It's within my ability to say, God, you are first and I'm putting you first, God. It's important to know that. We live in a world that puts everything before God. And the first commandment is you'll have no other God before me. But so many people have gods before the one true God. So there's something that has to be subtracted in our life. And we can see that that is self. Self is evil. Self is carnal. Self can't be tamed. Self won't obey the word of God. It won't fall in line with the truths of scripture. Self wants to assert itself. I don't care how you describe it. Self-help, self-esteem, any way you describe it, if the word self is in it, it's not going to lead to the glory of God. Never, never will. But then he also says, let him deny himself and also let him take up the cross. So there has to be some kind of addition that is taken up in your life. There has to be something added. And Jesus, who has not gone to Calvary yet, is telling us what it is. Take up the cross. Because if you put the cross in your hand, then you're going to be preoccupied with the fact that I'm soon to die. And the cross is about the crucifixion of yourself to the world and the world to you. 
It's about you putting the cross between you and people who don't know God, putting the cross between you and the pleasures of this world and you being dead to all of these things. Dr. A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary and Alliance denomination, he told a story about a vision he had one time. And he said he saw in that vision Jesus hanging up on the cross and he said his death was brutal. He said it brought tears to his eyes to see the blood trickling down that body and that head lying low after he had given up the ghost. But he says he stared at his Savior's body. He heard a voice that said to Dr. Simpson, walk around to the other side of that cross. He walked around to the back side of that cross and A.B. Simpson said he saw himself hanging up there on the other side, right behind Jesus. That's exactly where we're supposed to be. The scripture says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Take up the cross. When you're preoccupied with this cross, you cannot be preoccupied with self. And when you're bearing that cross, when you're carrying that cross, the things of this world, the desires for it begin to faint in the background because the most important thing to you is to follow in the footsteps of a Savior who was self-sacrificing. How can I, O oh God, live a life in your presence that would be sacrificial? John says it this way, greater love has no man than this, than he that would lay down his life for his friends. That's sacrifice. But the scripture is clear here. Look at Matthew 10 now, and I want you to see this from another perspective. Matthew 10, looking at verses 37 and 38, we're telling you to do the math. I've shown you what has to be subtracted, what has to be denied, what must be put down. I told you about the addition that you must take up in your life, which is the cross. But notice in verse 37, it says, he that loves father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So that tells you that if you're going to follow the king, there'll be division sometimes. Division. How would anybody believe that serving the Lord would bring division in their homes. But folks, I've met a whole lot of husbands that have told me after their wives became Christian, I didn't get married because I wanted to be wedded to some Bible thumper. I didn't get married because I wanted somebody to be driving scripture down my throat and telling me about how to live. I wanted to live it up and have a good time. I want my old spouse back to me. But the scripture shows you right here in verse 37 that if you begin to follow him, it'll drive a wedge in that home sometimes because everybody doesn't have the desire to live a life that is sacrificial for the king. Some people don't want to pray. Others don't want to give of their tithe unto the Lord. Some daughters and sons don't like the imposition of new values and views that are placed upon them by their parents. Some parents walk in there and I mean, once they get saved, everything changes. Yeah, they walk in, go, go to throwing out old music, ripping posters off the wall that are no longer suitable or deemed appropriate. Yeah. And then it brings a wedge because sometimes children get on fire for the Lord and they begin to tell mom and dad, you shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't act like that. Why are you doing that? People become offended by that. But the scripture says, he that doesn't take the cross and follow after me isn't even worthy of me. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, live a sacrificial life and don't allow any family member, spouse, or grandparent, or anybody to come between you and your love for God. You go on with God regardless of what anybody else does. It's important to do that. Because there are people who walk away from God. I had somebody years ago in uh, one of the other churches, and, and a husband said to the wife, I don't want you going to that church. Don't go anymore. That wife came and had a long conversation 
with me about that. I never said anything other than, well, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But here's one thing I did know. That husband was her God. I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. Ern Baxter tells the story of how his mother came to know the Lord and ultimately his dad. I believe his dad was born and raised in Scotland and was the son of a banker and a grandson of bankers. Came from a lot of, a lot of money. Well, they sent him from over there in Great Britain to Canada to open up a new outlet for that bank. And so, of course, he, he's there and he's getting involved with the community. He eventually meets this, this lovely young farm girl and they fell in love. Now, the two couldn't be the more opposite. Here's this man from money. He's very refined in how he dressed. His tastes are a certain way. And here he falls in love with this farm girl, likes to run around barefoot out there in the mud. But they were in love. And when they got married, he made the decision, we're going to continue going to our Presbyterian church. And so that's where they went, Presbyterian church. Well, after a period of time, the young lady had some friends that invited her to go to this little holiness church that was up on a hill. And it didn't look like much. It wasn't a dilapidated building, but it was just a little wood frame building. It wasn't beautiful like the red brick Presbyterian building with the stained glass windows and beautiful padded pews and all of that. So she went with them. And in that service that night, the presence of God was real. She had not heard people singing happily like that, and she certainly had never experienced animated preaching before. So it it really touched her, and she gave her heart to the Lord, and before she knew it, Sunday night, she was roaming out there again, hanging out with these people, and her husband just kind of stood back and watched all of this. And after a couple of months or whatever, he he says to her, now, honey, uh, Uh, You've been going out there to this church. You know, we're Presbyterian people and, you know, we're just different kind of people. And we just probably shouldn't be mixing with them. And you're going with me Sunday morning, going with them Sunday night. You're going to have to make a make a decision. She said, well, I enjoy that church. It's lively. I've become a genuine Christian and, and I'm happy there. Well, this continued on a little bit longer than finally one evening. She's getting ready to go to church and he looks at her and he says to her, if you go to that church tonight, when you come home, I and the kids are going to be gone. I will not be here when you get back. He drew a line in the sand, folks. That's what he did. She's got to make a decision now. Well, of course, it broke her heart that he would say that. And she just turned and just solemnly walked out of the house, went to the church. And in that little church, she told the people about what her husband said. They got on their knees. They prayed. They sought God. She didn't know what to expect when she got home. She walked into the house and there he sat right there where she left him. Looked like he hadn't even moved. She just walked over there to the edge of the couch and sat down, turned and looked at her husband and said, Will, shall we pray? And he fell out of that chair on his knees and just began to weep and convulse and cry and gave his heart to the Lord. Folks, when he drew that line in the sand, she knew she had to make a decision that day because I can promise you, had she followed him in that, she would have been obeying him for the rest of her life when it came to her relationship with God. She made a decision. Yeah. Notice what Jesus says again in verse 37. He that loves father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that doesn't take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. People all across this world have packed their clothes, figuratively speaking, in a coffin and sailed for the distant seas and countries over over on the other side of the earth in order to be missionaries. They knew that their parents were likely to hardly spend any time with those grandkids. 
But if God would have spoken to you 40 years ago or if God spoke to you tonight and told you to move to another city in America and become a businessman for him and that he would bless you and favor you and that out of that business, he wants you to support the kingdom of God in a great way. Do you have the ability to separate yourself from your extended family to do what God has called you to do? The Lord said, if you won't do it, you're not worthy of it. That's what he said. I didn't write that. He put that in the book right there. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So following the Lord brings with it a price. But notice then in Luke chapter 21, we're going to continue talking about adding and subtracting and a little bit of division. Let's see what is multiplied in your life. When you walk with God, there are many blessings that come. But here's one that's a little different. Luke 21, look at verse 17. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Notice verse 16. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolks and friends. And some of you, they shall cause to be put to death. You take up the cross and follow Jesus, there'll be hatred and anger that'll be multiplied towards you because you're a believer. And we don't often think of hatred and uh, a lot of vitriol being aimed at us in America, but folks, it's everywhere in this nation. Yeah. Wayne State University in Michigan through InterVarsity Fellowship off the campus because InterVarsity Fellowship had a rule that said, if you're going to be a leader in our ministries, you have to be a Christian. Can you imagine? They said, how can you demand that the leaders of your organization be Christian? Because we're a Christian fellowship. They said, we want you off of the campus. Look at how many judges today are interviewed before the Senate or whoever is interviewing them, and they ask them questions about their beliefs. And once they learn that they come from a background of Christianity, they want to know about the church, about the doctrine. When that latest Supreme Court justice was interviewed, they found out she went to a charismatic church. They were interested in all of this tongue stuff. And are you really crazy? Are you really so pro-life that you think that a woman ought not have the, the right to abort her child? All of these questions came out because of a basic belief that she had. And you can see in this nation, that kind of a thing is growing and growing. It would be hard to live right now in San Francisco and be a preacher of the gospel. It'd be difficult to be in Portland, Oregon, New York City, some of these other places. But we're watching the persecution amass because there's a hatred, not so much for you or for me, but for him. And for anybody that allows Jesus to stand up strong in them, you can see all the persecution breaking out. Washington State was a high school that fired a coach because at the end of the game, as the bleachers were clearing, he knelt down in the field with his team and prayed a prayer. Got rid of the coach. Yeah. We have schools today that don't want Jesus' name mentioned within its four walls at all. We have universities and colleges that are totally opposed to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 said, you shall be hated of all for my name's sake. It's not because they don't like you. It's not the color of your skin. It's not how you dress. It's not because you have money or have no money for my name's sake. So you're fine in the military so long as you don't pray in Jesus' name. See? Yeah. But once you start mentioning Jesus' name, that's where the problems begin. So the old view of the cross is the one that Jesus had, the one that Paul had, and the one that Peter and John and them had. They understood that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that the proclamation of it is the very power of God, and that lives can be changed. I know why the devil is terrified of this message. 
You preach it on a street corner, preach it in the hallways, preach it in a hospital or a nursing home and tell people about the death of Jesus, his burial in his resurrection. And in a few moments, a life can be changed. It's the only message on the planet that can cut through sin inside of 25 minutes or so and bring a person to a total innocence in the presence of God. No wonder they don't want Christians to believe these things. That's the old view. That's the biblical view. But we've seen things change in the last century. 1878, a man was born by the name of Harry Emerson Fosdick. He died in 1969. A very liberal man denied the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, had all kinds of influence over some Baptists and a whole lot of Presbyterians because he was in a very influential church in New York. Mr. Fosdick preached a popular sermon years ago entitled, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? Back in 1922. And he said, why would anybody believe a book to be inspired when it's filled with legends? Why would anybody tell stories about the judgment of God in the Old Testament when people are wanting to know how they can get bread for themselves during the Depression? Well, this man was influential. And he preached for decades in my own home state of Ohio. In 1898 was born a man by the name of Norman Vincent Peale. He died in 1993. This gentleman, he wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Think happy thoughts. This guy didn't believe in the cross. He wasn't interested in any kind of self-sacrifice and self-denial. He was interested in boosting man's esteem. He would tell people, man, is not getting worse. Everybody has a spark of divinity within them, and everybody is getting better. But if things look like everything's getting better, then we've got a problem on our hands. To me, it seems like there's a spirit of confusion mingled in many areas. But that man was influential, touched a lot of people, started the Reader's Digest, became a mentor to another gentleman born in 1926 who died in 2015 named Robert Schuller. Hour of Power. All kinds of inspirational stories. Interviews with people that really would put a smile on your face and you were glad to see that there would be folks that would you know, look like they've turned to God. But I heard that gentleman on an interview one time say, why mention words like sin when they have negative connotation? Why mention a word like that that could harm or distort a child's personality? Why talk about the cross when it is so offensive to so many people? See? That kind of belief, that kind of teaching is popular today and you can still find it being proclaimed by many people and it has produced a new view of the cross. And in the new view, they say things don't mention the cross because it reminds people of sin. That's the point of it. Jesus came into this world to die so that he could bear our sins and lift that burden off of us. Think of how many people there are right now doing drugs and shooting up in the in the evening and they're thinking, oh, I wish there was somebody that could lift this weight up off of me. This addiction is too much for me. I can't even bear it anymore. But there is somebody that can handle it. And his name is Jesus. In just a moment, he can grab it and lift it and a person can find freedom. They don't have to crave and clutch uh, a bottle of alcohol behind closed doors. There are thousands of privately drinking preachers. Their lives are falling apart. But the new view of the cross says don't preach the cross. Well, I can tell you, if you don't preach the cross, there won't be deliverance for people from the power of sin. The new view of the cross also says that it's wrong to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Why would you believe that Jesus has a singular plan of redemption? And you hear it on interviews all the time. My wife and I, we see things and it just 
astonishes us that people say these things. We heard one popular comedian that fashions himself as a Christian in front of everybody and goes into different churches and holds his little comedy stuff and makes people laugh. And he says, look, look, we should not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. He said, after all, Christianity is just one among many religions. It's like a satellite channel. He said, you know, you turn the dial, you get this channel, you've got Chicago PD over here. He said, you turn the other channel. You got modern family over here. You turn the dial. You got another channel. You got sports over here. He said, all of it is entertaining. All of it will take you where you need to be. And I thought utter deception today. And this kind of mixture is what people bring into the church and let them testify about how they've come to know Christ. And they've never come to know the king at all. And if they did at one time know the king, they walked away from the light. Yeah, they walked away from the light. That new view of the cross says there's not just one way to heaven. The new view of the cross also says that we shouldn't believe in the cross because it leads us to believe the Bible is an inspired book. That it actually came from God, that he wrote it or he inspired people to write things, these things. Of course he did. If we don't believe that, then why be a Christian? I have to believe that the God who preserved the words of the book is the God who brought me into salvation and is able to preserve me in my relationship with him. What does the book say? The word of God is pure, converting the soul. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What did Peter say? The holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is not a book of any private interpretation. So when the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a great big fish, that's exactly what it means. That Bible says that the axe head did swim. It's exactly what happened in the prophet Elisha's time. When the scripture says the Red Sea parted, that's not an allegory. That did happen. But the new view of the cross says, no, these things can't be true. And then, of course, if that is a belief, then the next one is, if the new view of the cross, they don't believe in any wrath of God. So why did Jesus die? He died to reconcile man to God. Why did man need to be reconciled? Because man was separated from God. By what? By sin. And if there's the presence of sin, that means that there is iniquity, there is evil, there's a devil, there's hell, there's judgment. The new view of the cross says there is no wrath. God isn't angry with anybody. I hear people say that on television all the time that a preacher. God's not mad at you, thinking you've lost your mind. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we were all children of wrath, children of disobedience. The scripture says in the Old Testament, God's angry with the sinner every day. His arrow is aimed in their direction and there's an arrow ready to be released and could mortally take their life at any moment. God holds our heartbeat and our breath in the palm of his hand. It is by grace and long suffering that he lets unbelievers live. Yeah. I can see why the new view of the cross appeals to so many people, because no one wants to believe that one day they're going to have to actually stand before God and give an account how they've lived. But that book tells us in Philippians, every knee will bow. Yeah, Every tongue will confess. There's no doubt about it. Now, folks can confess it as they're heading upwards or they'll be shouting and confessing as they're heading downward. But every knee is going to bow. So you can see that in the world that we live in today, there are differences in the old and the new views of the cross. But the one that brought me in the kingdom was that old view. You say, well, pastor, there are a whole lot of people that wonder how anybody could still believe in those old narrow-minded traditional views like that. Well, if by narrow-minded traditional you mean biblical, I believe it. Yeah. But I I can't go wholeheartedly after this new stuff that changes with every generation and is trendy. 
It's just whatever comes out, that's what needs to be proclaimed. If it comes out in social media, we don't use words like that anymore. I've had preachers tell me that younger preachers say, well, you know, in this, this new generation, if you're going to reach a lot of these kids today, especially the college sports figures who don't have a whole lot of fathers, you can't use words like sin and stuff like that because it'll be offensive to them. And I have to let people know over and over again, this generation is no different than the preceding generation because all of us were sinners and need to be saved by the mighty power of the grace of God. What makes us different from Jesus' day is we have different ways to sin now. But the power of sin hasn't changed. And the way that we can find somebody delivered from the power of sin hasn't changed. And I don't care if it's a football player or a housewife. God has an answer. Doesn't matter if it's a judge or a bus driver. Somebody could be sweeping the floor somewhere. Jesus has an answer and the answer is in his blood and at that cross. And the man or woman that looks to him is going to find deliverance. Folks, don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody take you down the wrong path. It doesn't matter what they say is working in all the new church growth seminars. The key is preach the cross. Believe the cross. and You'll find that's where the true believers are going to be. Standing there beholding our wonderful Savior. Amen. Amen. Folks, come on. Let's stand on our feet. Let's pray for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray for people in this region. Let's pray for revival in our churches. Let's pray for a move of God amongst our young people. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can reflect on your word and on the death of the Lord Jesus. How powerful that death was, that you, O God, would so love us that you would send your son. We honor you tonight, Lord. We thank you, God. We take our stand on a firm foundation because there's nobody like you in all of the earth. Almighty God, we worship you. We praise you. And we thank you for being so good to us, Lord. For being so good to us, Almighty God. For being so good to us, Lord. We honor you. We love you. We'll find me a song that you can play there. Let me pray for all of our young people tonight. So we'll start with the age of 20. We'll see if you're 20 and below. Come down here in front of pastor. We're going to pray for you tonight. Praise the Lord. If you're over 20, you're old. You're over 20, you're old. (laughs) Here comes Randy. Oh, God. You just stand right across here. You're facing me. Everybody stand. You're facing me. Praise the Lord. And come on in nice and close because I'm going to need some adults to come stand behind you in a little while. going to lay hands on you and pray. You know, one of the most important things on planet Earth is for God to preserve his young people. Yes. You, some of you have heard me say this before, and we're thankful that we're still able to say this. 23 years ago, we came out here preaching Jesus Christ in Nebraska. Been a lot of kids passing to adulthood, a lot of young ladies, a lot of young men. But of all the kids we've had raised in the church, listening to us preach, falling in love with Jesus, do you realize we hadn't had one baby out of wedlock? Out of one. But yet I hear and see one example after another of all these things breaking out in different fellowships. But if you want to be kept, you can be kept. If you take up that cross, God will preserve and keep you. But when we dedicate our lives to the Lord, and a lot of you, maybe all of you, were dedicated to the king when you came into this world, the prayer that people prayed was that the Lord would keep you. And the prayer I prayed for so many Young people and children has been just like this. Lord, keep them from fornication outside of wedlock. Father, keep them from drugs. I pray that they never know the taste of alcohol. I've had adults say to me, that's not right. Why do you say that? They want to taste alcohol. 
then that, that shouldn't bother you at all. And I've told one adult after another, you pray your own prayers. This is how I'm praying. Because if you never taste it, you never know if you have an appetite for it. And if you don't have an appetite for it, you won't become an addict. You can drive past any saloon in any small town, and most small towns got just as many saloons as they got churches, and there's always some mom or some dad sitting up there on the bar stool drinking up the children's lunch money, drinking up the school money, sports fees. But to be able to know him and stay consecrated, that's the main thing, because there are a lot of young men out there, a lot of young ladies out there that would love to remove the chastity that God has provided in your life. And then when I tell the people down in the Hayes Church, I say for all of you who weren't raised up listening to me teach and minister and preach, and you failed God and mistakes and blunders and sins have occurred, you are forgiven by the Lord. We still love you. Don't do it again. See? Don't do it again. And this way, we can walk with God. If the king could save me as a little guy, and then I walk with the king, he can, he, he can keep you and preserve you. You believe that? All right. Let me get some adults come down here. We're going to lay hands on these folks. Reach out there. Grab the hands of your neighbor there, young people. Reach out there. Grab the hands of your neighbors. We're going to lay hands on you folks. We're going to pray. <clears throat> I'm going to lead in prayer. But two things. As I pray, I, I want you, when you're laying in that bed sometimes at night, I just want you to talk to God and say, God, I, I'm open to receive everything that you have for me, God. Pour in everything that you want me to have, almighty God. So, Father, these young people that are here in this altar right now, we're consecrating them to you again, Lord. And we're laying our hands upon them right now, Father, believing that something is going in them as we pray. And we thank you for a mighty impartation and blessing going into their life. We pray that you preserve them. We pray that you keep them, God. Open their eyes to every, of every demonic strategy and scheme that he would try to use to mislead them and take them in the wrong direction. God, give them discernment. To be able to know when the adversary is at work in their midst and in their surroundings, God. And Father, we worship you, we love you, we honor you. And we praise you, Almighty God, because there's nobody like you in all of the earth, God. I pray that you preserve each one of them so that they would maintain their chastity and their testimony. I pray, God, that they would never taste alcohol. God, keep them away from it. May they never have a craving or an, a desire to even touch it, Lord. I pray, God, you keep them from all kinds of substance abuse problems. Father, keep them away from marijuana. Keep them away from meth. Keep them away from heroin and LSD and cocaine and crack and whatever else other young people may be involved with. But Father, let their hearts forever be on fire for you, Lord. That's our prayer, oh God. Now, Father, you said we lift our hearts with our hands. And so, God, we surrender our hearts to you. Let's all lift our hands toward heaven right now. Father, we lift our hearts toward you. And we worship you and praise you, God. Because, Father, there's no one like you in all of the earth, Jesus. We worship you. Praise you, almighty God. Oh, Jesus, we praise you and worship you right now. If you want to, just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost or begin to pray in English any way that you want. Father, we honor you. Praise you, God. Oh, God, we love you and worship you tonight, God. These, oh, God, are your people. Lord, we worship you. Oh, God, we honor you tonight, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your touch. Thank you for your blessing, oh, God. Thank you that we're two or three are gathered you here. Thank you for walking in our midst tonight, God. Oh, God. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, God, we love you and praise you, God.
because you're worthy, God. You're worthy, God. Thank you for cleansing us, forgiving us of all of our iniquity, God. Thank you, God. When we have not believed you as we should believe you, you've been merciful, God. We honor you. We praise you, God. And glorify your name, O God, and all the earth, Lord. Oh, God. You young folks are special to God. I'm telling you, you're special to God. Don't ever lose your hunger. Don't ever lose your passion. And walk with him in the midst of other young people that don't, because your life will always stand out. Stand out like a candle in the darkness. People will know there's something taking place on the inside of you. Amen? No doubt about it, folks. No doubt about it. Oh, God. Father, we love you and honor you, praise you, because you're worthy, God. No one like you in all of the earth. Yes, oh God. Yes, oh God. Yes, oh God. Yes, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. You, oh God. You, oh God. Remember when you was just a baby, I prophesied over you. Your grandma Brueggemann probably can still tell you what I prophesied. But little by little, we just watch, wait, just to see what God, God will do. See? Yeah. Remember when, uh, you know the Lewis kids? Can't remember if Elizabeth, Eli were here and Ethan was in her belly. I just... Remember, I gave an utterance in tongues on that Sunday morning, walked to the back of the church, prophesied over all those kids, said one would serve God missions, this and that. Then from the time little Elizabeth, just a little girl, all she ever wanted to do was go to Africa. I still remember when we got her feet on that African soil, Yeah, how happy she was come back to the States, do her schooling, that nursing stuff. She says, I want to go back to Uganda on my own. We were all like, by yourself? She said, oh, yeah, I can't wait to do it. But I still remember. She launched out, made that trip, headed back over there to Uganda, working at hospital for a little while. I'm telling you, if it's him, then things come to pass, folks. If it's not him, the words just fall to the ground, you see. And what we need is God's power in our midst at all times. See, the presence and the anointing that breaks and destroys every yoke. Amen? Amen. Folks, we love you. We appreciate you. Tuesday night, we'll be back out here again, glorifying and praising the King in fellowship. I don't have any benediction. You can just turn in fellowship a little while. Ain't that beautiful? Cutie pie. Yeah. Who is this little thing here? Hey, that girlfriend. How we doing?